good morning again, everyone. My name is still Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Legacy. Whether you're joining us on a screen or right here in the sanctuary, we're so very glad you chose to spend just a little bit of your January day with us. Now, we're nearing the end of a series where we're talking about a word. It's very in vogue, very popular in some circles. The word is deconstruct, and it simply means to take apart or to examine something. Now, when we apply it to faith, when it comes to following Jesus and understanding God, um, it means that we deconstruct something or examine something that we believe. Now, deconstructing our faith does not mean it needs to lead to destruction. It doesn't mean we need to, we're going to uh, deconstruct out of our faith. Deconstructing can actually lead to a healthy, vibrant, and mature faith in Christ. Now, we've been using the model of a Jenga set, showing that we can have questions, have things we don't know, aren't sure about, to examine our faith, and still have faith in Jesus. You know, we might reconsider a belief, whatever it is, uh, we take it out, we study it, we think about it, we pray about it, uh, discuss in community, and we decide we change what this belief is. It goes into a different spot. We're still following Jesus, but that belief has shifted. Now, it could be something like this, too. We might have a belief like, uh, the Minnesota Vikings always let me down. So we take that belief out, we examine it, we study it, we watch a game, and then that belief goes right back into the same spot. <laughs> or you might have a belief that Tom Brady is the worst. So you take that belief out, you study it, you examine it, and then that belief goes right back into the same spot. Well, you kind, of see who, you kind of see who our preacher planning team really likes for football teams, right? But when it comes to our faith and not football, we can examine something and it go right back into the same spot. We can examine something and say, you know what? I still believe the same thing about that topic or issue or whatever it might be. Now, no matter how we search, no matter how we evaluate, no matter how we explore, we will find God. We will find Jesus in the exploration. Now, remember the words of the Lord in the book of Jeremiah. If you look for me wholeheartedly, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Today, we're going to explore one of the main reasons, one of the main reasons people deconstruct and leave the faith. It's one of the main reasons that deconstruction can lead to destruction. That's doubt. We can have so many questions, so many doubts about the things that we have been taught about God and Jesus. As we work our way through the message today, ask yourself, what is one question? What is one part of faith that you doubt? You've got a sermon note card in front of you. Write down the question up on there. Keep that question in front of you, that doubt, as we move through the message. Now, some of our doubts can be really big and broad, like, is God real? Is there a loving God out there who has my best intentions at heart, or is this just a comforting thought in the randomness of the universe? Is God real, or is that just a comforting idea I have when times are tough and when suffering is involved? If God is good and loving, why is there so much evil in the world? Turn on your favorite newscast, check out your news feed, and the first story is someone, some community, some nation suffering at the hands of a natural disaster or an evil caused by someone else, a community or another nation? How can a loving God exist in the world that we have? Can God be trusted? Can God be trusted? With the world, the state that it's in, can the goodness and love and care and mercy of God really be trusted? Is God really like what we see in Jesus 
Or is God just a mean kid sitting on an anthill with a magnifying glass? And we're the ants. God could fix our lives in five minutes if God wanted to, but God would rather burn off our feelers and watch us squirm. That's not original to me. That's a quote from the movie Bruce Almighty, FYI. Now, these are good questions. These are big questions to have. We also have personal questions like, why is this specific thing happening to me right now? Did I do something wrong? Does God punish people like me for stepping out of bounds? Or is this just the result of living in a fallen world with broken people? Is something wrong with me? And God, do you even care? Is something wrong with me? God, do you even care? Maybe one of your doubts is one of those that you're pondering or something else. Whatever it is, as it comes to your mind, write it down, put it on your note card, and keep it in front of you as we keep walking through this sermon. Now, some people view doubt, view all these things as a lack of faith. If I just had more faith, I wouldn't have these doubts. As if faith was like water in a water glass. Just get more water in that glass, just get some more faith in that glass, then these doubts would go away. If I was stronger in my faith, I'd have more faith in there. Clearly, I am just weak. Friends, none of that is true. Absolutely none of that is true. You want to know the secret about doubts? You know the secret about doubts this morning? Doubts are normal. Doubts are normal. They are not bad. They are healthy. You don't need to feel guilty for having doubts. It doesn't make you a failure at faith for having them. You are not less in God's eyes if you doubt this thing or that thing over here. Having doubts makes you normal. It makes you a human being created by God who loves you and created by the God that put that brain in your head so you can ask questions, so you can doubt and grow faith with deep and lasting roots. Just like we are not the first ones to deconstruct, just like we are not the first ones to deal with the problem of people, the problem of us, we are not the first ones to deal with doubt. Even in Jesus' day, people had questions. People doubted. We're going to be in John chapter 20 today. It's in the New Testament, the second part of the bi- your Bible. You can follow along if you want to in your own Bible, on your favorite device, or it'll be up on the screen with me. Now, this story happens after the very first Easter. Jesus has risen from the dead. Most of the disciples were present when Jesus appears after his death. I can only imagine. I can only imagine how excited and elated and besides themselves they were. Everyone was there except one of them. We're going to pick up the story in verse 24 of John chapter 20. Now, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, Nicknamed the twin was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers in them, and place my hand in the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. 
Now, Thomas, the disciple, he wasn't there the first time Jesus appeared. And for this, and a couple other spots in the scripture, he gets nicknamed, for all history, Doubting Thomas. We discussed in preacher planning this week that we don't think Doubting Thomas is a fair name. We don't think it's accurate. More accurately, Thomas is the man from Missouri. How do you ask, is a guy from the first century the man from Missouri? Well, Missouri is the show-me state. It's the show-me state. Thomas knows Jesus died. He needs proof Jesus rose from the dead. Show me, said Thomas, or I can't believe it. Is that really too much to ask? I don't think so. People don't rise from the dead in the normal course of our days, nor did they in Thomas's day either. What he asked for, that's a fair thing. Friends, as you look at the doubt you wrote down, or when you're pondering in your head, take this lesson from Thomas. Doubt should not be ignored. Doubt should not be ignored. Doubt, Thomas was very clear with what he was doubting. He didn't hide it and try to polish it. He didn't try to skirt it under the rug. He was very clear with the disciples what he doubted. He was not sure Jesus rose from the dead. He was incredibly direct with what he was feeling and needing in our moment, in that moment. In our lives, we know there are things we should not push to the side because if we ignore it, it's going to create more problems down the road. When we have a cavity, when we have a toothache, we know we need to get that addressed because if we don't, if we leave it, cavity turns to larger cavity, turns to crown, turns to root canal. I've had dentists tell family members that, you know, you're supposed to come see us twice a year, not every two years, right? They, we go for preventative care to prevent something much worse. We need to deal with our health directly before it becomes a major issue. Ignored doubt can become destructive just like a cavity in our mouth. Ignored doubt can be fester and sit unaddressed. This is where deconstructing and evaluating our faith, it can lead to the destruction of our faith. We don't deal with this doubt. It grows. It metastasizes. So we become indifferent about God and we walk away from the faith. We deconstruct out. We don't need to. We deal with doubt directly. Don't ignore it. Don't bury it. Don't push it aside. Even though you've got a doubt on a question in front of you, we also need to understand doubt is not just one question. Doubt is a journey that we go on. Thomas goes on a particular journey with his doubt about Jesus rising from the dead. Now, this doubt only lasted eight days, but he does go on a journey with it. Our journeys with doubt could be significantly longer than eight days. And it's important to note this journey is not a competition. You're not racing with anybody else to answer that doubt that you've written down, to beat the person sitting next to you to answer your doubt before they do. It's a journey, you and God, to answer that question. I have a hard time not viewing everything like a competition. Unlike Tegan, who was baptized or heard God say during a soccer game, life is not all about a competition, that it's not about winning, she took that message to heart, and I, at 42, still have a hard time taking that message to heart. Doesn't matter what it is. I've got to get to the stoplight first because that matters who gets to the next stoplight first. I'm grocery shopping and there's a couple of us jockeying for position to get to the open checkout first. I've got to be first. Otherwise, I feel like a failure. It's something as a 42-year-old I'm still working on. Life is not about a competition. Answering your doubt first is not about a competition. It is a journey to go on with God. Now, the journey with doubt, it lasts a lifetime because you might not have that same question in front of you forever as a doubt, but those questions are going to change. 
Thomas's question about Jesus rising from the dead, that got answered after eight days, but he followed Jesus for decades afterwards to the end of his life. You can bet he had other doubts and questions that he had. Tradition has it that the disciple Thomas, this man from Missouri, actually ends up taking Jesus, the gospel, the news that he died and rose again, all the way to India in the first century. That is pretty incredible. As we journey with Jesus through our own lives, the questions we have in front of us, that question won't always be there. We grow, we age, we mature. We go from child to teenager to adult to senior adults, and those questions and doubts change. We go through different stages, choosing whether or not to get married, to have children, where to live, what kind of career. Through all of that, our doubts are going to shift. They'll shift from things like, are you really a good and loving God, to how can I help children, how do I help people see this? We doubt our ability to do some of the things that God has called us to do. The destination in this journey with doubt is growing closer to Jesus. Dealing with our doubt directly, not ignoring it, walking with Jesus through it all, it leads to a mature faith, a faith that sustains us through all that life brings. Doubt can lead to a deeper faith. Now remember this Missouri man, Thomas, was not going to believe until he touched Jesus. He was very direct and clear. He said he needed to physically touch the wounds on Jesus' body. That's the kind of proof he needed. Thomas was serious about this. Jesus appears and invites Thomas to do that very thing. So what does Thomas actually do? Thomas exclaimed, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, you believe me because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. The story doesn't say he actually touched him. You would think after that kind of a declaration, there'd be something in there that said, Thomas then touched Jesus' wounds, and it's not there. Thomas sees Jesus, and that's it. That's all he needed. He needed a word from Jesus, Jesus' presence, and then Thomas is good to go. That's how some of our doubts are going to get answered too. We might have to live with the mystery that the question can't be answered on this side of the new heaven and new earth. So it's simply Jesus' presence that we find in worship and prayer and community. And that's how the question gets answered. The question might not be answered and we simply live with that mystery with Christ's presence. Now Thomas' declaration, my Lord and my God, it is the very first time in this book that someone says Jesus is God. And the whole book of John has been building to this moment right here. It opens with the word was God and the word was with God. And then the word moves into the neighborhood and puts on flesh. God comes in Jesus. And all 20 chapters of John have been leading up to somebody seeing that Jesus is in fact God in the flesh. And it is so very cool that the man who's been unfairly painted as doubting Thomas for 2,000 years is the first person, is the first person to say, Jesus is my Lord and my God. Thomas is that same disciple who suggested all the disciples should just go die with Jesus. Thomas is the same disciple who complained that Jesus hadn't made his teachings clear enough for them to understand. Even though all the other disciples, they're excited and elated, filled with joy that Jesus is alive, Thomas says, I ain't buying it. I'm not going to be taken in that something could be a scam. He needs solid evidence. Fair enough. And he gets it. Now, does Jesus' last verse here feel like he's chastising Thomas? Is he rebuking him? Is he correcting him? Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. I don't think it is. I don't think that verse is meant for Thomas I think that verse is meant for you. 
That verse is meant for me and for all of those of the last 2,000 years who believe Jesus is Lord and God without physically seeing him standing there right in front of us like the disciples did. We are blessed ourselves. Even if we haven't seen Jesus in the flesh, we are the ones Jesus is talking about. Jesus promises to be with us through all that we endure, including our doubts and asking questions. Our faith grows stronger, our connection to Jesus grows stronger, the more we exercise our faith. It's like our muscles being exercised. We know as we work them, as we push them, they get broken down and they grow back bigger. And then if we want bigger muscles, we push them some more, they break down and they grow back bigger. The cycle repeats. It's the same way with our faith. The more we're in community, the more we're in prayer, the more we're serving, the more we're exercising our faith muscles, the more they get stronger, the more our faith deepens and grows. So, as you look at that question in front of you that you've written down, as you deal with doubt, don't ignore it. It is a journey to go on, and it will lead you. It will lead you to a deeper faith. And please do not leave here without hearing this this morning. Just because you have doubts does not make you a bad Christian, a Christian lacking faith. You are a good Christian if you have doubts. One who is seeking in the vein of Thomas the disciple, the Missouri man, the on all those of the last 2,000 years who've doubted and asked all kinds of questions about everything. Just as ignored doubt can become destructive, explored doubt, it becomes productive. Ignored doubt is destructive, but explored doubt is productive. Dealing with the question in front of you gives us a deeper understanding of not only of who God is, but who we are. It gives us a deeper understanding of faith, one that can be comfortable with mystery. Because as I mentioned, there are things that we're not going to know. We're not going to know until we get to the new heaven and new earth together. Digging into doubt helps us to become more comfortable with questions. And we can survive and thrive through uncertainty. We can even have questions in the framework of our faith, and it's okay. We can follow Jesus and still have questions. Have big questions like, is God real? If God is so good, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? Does God really care about me? And does God really care about what I'm going through? We can have questions and still have a deep faith in Jesus. So take that question you've written down and understand it is normal. Don't ignore it. Go on a journey of discovery with Jesus and see what answers and mysteries might be there because you're going to end up with a deeper faith in Christ through it. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can come with all of our wonderings, our ponderings, our questions and doubts. We can journey with you through our questions and you meet us in them. Help us to helping us to find understanding or living with the mystery because you are good. You do have our best interests at heart. May your Holy Spirit lead us into a new week to be people drawing others to you in and with and through our doubts. It's in your resurrected name we pray together. Amen.